One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of One Pills Live as we are coming to you live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you. And we should mention at this point in time that Buffalo Bills coverage of the 2024 NFL Combine is presented by Ticketmaster, the official ticket marketplace of the NFL. Um, Maddie, we got a chock full of nuts show here today. Uh, two NFL GMs, one NFL head coach, and the lead draft analyst for NFL Network all on this show here today. We oh, are yeah. packed. It is packed and stacked. We heard from Sean McDermott yesterday, so we will air that interview here shortly. And then Brandon Bean, who we just spoke to, is currently speaking to media members right now on one of the podiums, kind of to our right, where all the prospects will begin talking tomorrow afternoon. Today is all about the head coaches and GMs. They're all speaking to media members today, so Brandon Bean is going right now. And then we'll also hear from Raiders GM Tom Telesco and Dan- Daniel Jeremiah who's the lead NFL draft analyst uh, over at NFL Network. He does great work, and it was really great to talk to him about the wide receiver class, the defensive line class as well. Yeah, and we hit up Brandon about that too, so you're going to want to stay tuned for all of those interviews coming your way. We will talk to Raiders GM Tom Telesco live. For those that don't remember, he is the former Chargers GM. He stays in the AFC West and you know latches on with the Raiders where he's going to be the general manager there working with Antonio Pierce. So we'll talk to him about how things are progressing there. They just announced their full coaching staff earlier this week, along with their front office, which is finally getting set. So we'll talk to him about doing some of those building blocks. And for those that don't know either, Tom Telesco, a Hamburg, New Mm -hmm. York native. So always look forward to catching up uh, with Tom this time of the year here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. There was one bit of news earlier today from one of the GMs, Kansas City GM Brett Veach, basically said they anticipate using the franchise tag. Speculation is that's going to be used on Legereus Sneed, their number one corner, because to use it on Chris Jones would be cost prohibitive because I think the number would be something like over $22 million dollars And that's not something they want to entertain right now, at least on a one-year deal. So speculation is that tag's going to go on Snead so they don't lose him on what was the number two defense in football last year. And you were wondering how those two would work out with with tagging one or with extending another. And we heard a lot about Chris Jones and, and why he deserves to remain on a roster like this, but... You can't talk about Chris Jones without talking about LeJarius Sneed and what he has meant to this defense, his versatility, how they've used him in the past season. I mean, uh, he was a big, big, big reason why that defense was ranked so high. And as you'll hear from GM Brandon Bean a little bit later on in the show, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. I mean, it's decision time because we're two weeks away from having to be cap-compliant and ready for the new league year with your plans about what you're spending in free agency, what you're probably targeting in the draft, who you're going to be able to keep on your own list of free agents, what that's going to cost. So there's a lot of moving parts here over the next two weeks, not just for the Bills, but for every other team in the league for that matter. So another example is Sean Payton was addressing the media earlier. The big question there is what's going to become of Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. And he basically said a decision on that's coming in the next two weeks. Well, no kidding. 
I mean, you, you got to be cap compliant by that by then, and the quarterback's a pretty big decision in that equation. So, okay, thanks, Sean. Like, I think we all could have figured that one out in the next two weeks. No kidding. Everything's happening. March thirteenth. Oh, weeks. is that the deadline? Thanks, thanks oh for filling gosh. us in. So, uh, kind of, you know, stating the obvious there, but some of the other comments that he made earlier lent credence to the fact that he is clearly in the market for a quarterback mm-hmm. in the draft as well. Maybe they, if they move on from Russell Wilson, you know, they find a, an affordable veteran free agent and then draft somebody as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but there are a lot of people that feel that Sean Payton's ready to turn the page and yep. he wants to do that without Russell Wilson uh, attached at the hip to him. Uh, I mean, he was, you know, he had a decent season last year, did not he turn did. the ball over. They, they had a better second half of the season than first half. I think we can all agree on that. But it, it just doesn't seem like there's a, a firm connection there and a, and a meshing of philosophies between Russell Wilson and, and Sean Payton. So I wouldn't be surprised if they move on. Oh, they gave so much up for him. It's crazy that we're here yeah. at this point. But previous regime. Yes. So for, so for Sean Payton, it's like, yeah. well, I'm not beholden to this guy. Yeah. I didn't pick I him. I didn't I trade for him. So, yeah, I, th- I think they're going to probably move on. It's crazy. Like, five, as little as five years ago, Maddie. Teams that had a big pl- a player with a big cap hit wouldn't even entertain moving on from that player because of the cost-prohibitive nature of the cap. Now, ever since that Carson Wentz trade, when the Eagles sent him to Indianapolis and took a $37 million cap hit, it's like it opened up the idea to everybody else like, sure. oh, you know what, I can take a $30 million cap hit, it's no big deal. <laughs> and so now, nobody even thinks twice. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But it happens, and we see it since that Carson Wentz deal. We've seen it year after year after year. Somebody's eaten a giant contract just to get somebody out of there. And I feel like Russell Wilson could be that guy this year. And Sean Payton wants to win, and he wants to keep his job as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. And if that means moving on from Russell Wilson, if he thinks that gives you the best opportunity to set something up with your own guys and build something, you're going to do that. Just explaining what you said Teams have done it before, and they're not—they're not scared to do it anymore. Move on um, from a big-name player, take a big cap hit to get where you want to be eventually. Yeah, uh, Sean McDermott, as we know, addressed the media over here yesterday. He's engrossed in NFL competition committee meetings. As a matter of fact, he's there again today. Uh, six hours yesterday, I think another six hours today. He had a six-hour meeting on Sunday. Uh, he's going to get all the competition committee exposure he wants and then some. And we talked about that with him and how he is navigating this new league-appointed role uh, for him. So we look forward to bringing that to you. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't say enough nice things about Gabe Davis yesterday. Yeah. And that's all well and good. But you wonder the path they choose to take here because – You have to believe Gabe, with this being his second contract, wants to get as much money as possible. You may not get as big a bite at the apple as you do in your second contract when you're still in your prime. And I would tend to think that Gabe's going to try to see how much he can get on the open market before agreeing to anything with the Bills. Yeah, I think he deserves to do that. I think several free agents who who might come back to the Bills deserve to do that. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go to the open market and see what you're worth um, before maybe working out a deal with the Bills? We know that the Bills are going to have to do some work to become cap compliant over the next few weeks. And we know there's other teams out there who have a boatload of money to spend on players like wide receivers 
Spurs. But I wonder what Gabe Davis also wants out of his, not really his next contract, but his next chapter in his NFL career. What yeah. do you want? Do you want to go back to, to a team where you did have some production with, not as consistent as we all wanted it to be, and, and probably as Gabe Davis would say as well, or do you want to go somewhere maybe with a fresh start where where you could have a, a little bit bigger of a role, maybe earn your way into having something like that? Yeah. So we'll hear more about that, not only from head coach Sean McDermott, but with GM Brandon Bean as well, and where some initial conversations may sit on that front, as well as Daquan Jones and the free agent market as a whole. Uh, But we do want to turn to head coach Sean McDermott and remind you, our Buffalo Bills coverage of the 2024 NFL Combine is presented by Ticketmaster, the official ticket marketplace of the NFL, but let's go to our interview with head coach Sean McDermott. All right, coach, uh, thanks for stopping in and giving us some time. Uh, you know, congrats on being named to the competition committee. We already heard you're a mover and a shaker and changing all kinds of rules, coming up with 17 different proposals, I heard. You had a long list, so uh, yeah. that's good to hear. Congrats on that. Um, but no, sure. in, all, in all seriousness, uh, what was your reaction when you were asked to serve we didn't even know how that works. Does Commissioner Goodell call you and offer you the spot? Like, walk us through how all of that kind of came about and yeah. what your reaction to it was. Yeah, I don't think it's as formal as what you see in people knock on your door for the Hall of Fame. No, I, we, it wasn't okay. quite that okay. to that extent. Uh, no, but it was a phone call from from Troy Vincent, and uh, uh, the first the first thing that actually came was a text um, the night before, and I'm okay. like, oh. What did we do wrong? Oh, right, you're it's kind of like you know you're getting called to the principal's office, and so and so the next morning then we connected over the phone and and uh, he shared the news with me. Troy did that that uh, they would like me to to uh, accept their offer to join the committee and and I didn't hesitate really. I mean it was uh, you know a little bit of a conversation about understanding what it would entail um, because it does take a little bit of time away from from our team, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, you know, in the short amount of time now that I've been in those meetings, um, they've been very educational and informational for me is not only to grow the game and be guardians of the game as one Bill Polian shared with me, who is also a committee member years ago, um, but also to help educate me and our team, right? And because some of the information that, that you do get is a little bit, um, you don't always get that when you're not mm-hmm. on the committee. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been great so far. From rules to roster regulations to technology, you guys cover so much in these committee meetings. Did you seek out any advice of any former competition committee members before joining the force here? Well, I did uh, in in some ways. You know, there's there's people that are already on the – they're not on the committee, but they're in the meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, NFL league uh, office uh, representatives, and so I – reached out to them, just said, hey, what's the cadence, right? What's expected of me? And, and some of that was with Troy as well. And mm-hmm. and so good conversations and, hey, what's expected? Because there are, there's been many of these meetings over the years that have taken place and never want to go back and, and, and kind of try and um, rehash things that have already been hashed out mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So I'm um, just trying to do the best that I can in my first season in, in terms of serving. That's that's got to be a cool full circle moment, though. I mean, you went to the Eagles when Troy was a player, and right. now here's the guy giving you the call. To, <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the, I mean, from what we understand, it's one of the higher honors that can be bestowed on an active coach to be serving on that kind of a committee. That, 
that's good for you, man. That's yeah, cool. an honor. Truly an honor. It really is. It's you know how you're viewed um, from your from a peer perspective, from the league perspective, ownership perspective. Um, but again, as I said, um, receiving a text from Bill Polian a few days ago and just um, you know how he views it, and, and then how a lot of people around the league who have been around the league for yeah. for a number of years view it, and and then the responsibility too that comes with it. Um, because you can't go in there, right? You don't want to go in there and just say, hey, well, this is what's best for for, for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I want to do that, right? Don't get me <laughs> wrong. But uh, you have to grow the game accordingly to what's best for the overall league. Okay, so let's switch gears to more Bill Central here. And not long into the offseason, you named Joe Brady your offensive coordinator, removing the interim tag. What were the top couple of convincing factors in him being named to that position right. full-time. Yeah, well, I would say number one um, was his relationship and rapport with, with our quarterback, with Josh. Um, that That's huge, right? And, and so you have to be able to get uh, to have that key relationship and, and the trust. And I was able to watch that unfold uh, in, the, in the number of games that, since Joe took over and was very impressed by it. Two, I'd say, was... Um, the collaboration that Joe was able to establish with the offensive staff mm. uh, in a short amount of time, albeit, and, and some of them three were the results that we were able to get. Um, and I would, say, I would say pretty much in that order. Um, and then there's some other things as well that went along with it. Well, we saw a sample size from Joe Brady this past season, but what should we anticipate going forward for this offense? Subtle changes or something a little more significant? Well, I think some changes you'll see, Maddie, and others you won't. Naturally, when, when Joe has a chance to really put his thumbprint on the offense this offseason to slow it down, um, we've added a staff member uh, as well, and Ronald, and Ronald Curry, mm-hmm. that, that Joe knows well. And, and so that was important for, for Joe, for us. Um, and then also just so terminology will change a little bit, trying to maybe do some things a little bit differently um, behind the scenes, off the field, uh, in the process end of things. And then on the field, I'm sure there will be a lot the same um, because it's what's worked and it's what's worked with Josh. Um, and so, but then there will also be some new things that you want to do or want to evolve with. You and Brandon at your season wrap-up press conference were pretty clear that you feel you're as close as you've ever been to kind of breaking through and maybe getting all the way through on the AFC side of the ledger. I know it doesn't all apply to Josh, but you've often said, I've got to let Josh be Josh, you know, in running your offense. But in your film review of Josh, who had a super season by all accounts, is there a way to more effectively manage risk and at the same time capture those two or three more plays that you need to break through. And when you ask managing risk, are you saying in in reference to running and getting hit and taking hits? And or all? going for all the marbles when maybe I take the single up the middle or right. you know that kind of thing? That's that's an area I would say that Josh continues to grow in, right? In ter- really, really both areas, whereas, hey, take what the defense has given you. I thought, I thought he did a phenomenal job of that in the postseason in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's something that we need to get off to a better start with the start of the season, right? And then taking hits, um, Josh is, is, is a competitive guy, as competitive as there is at the quarterback position in particular in our league. And um, 
so you got to take some of the good with the bad, but you but you also have to understand um, the state of the league, right? You're seeing a record number of backup quarterbacks play this season. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to win and win big uh, with a backup quarterback. So it's obviously not ideal, and so we have to be very aware of that. Josh does as well, uh, Joe uh, as well, and and so continually to grow and hey when it's time to to go out of bounds you go out of bounds or when it's time to slide you slide um that's all that's all part of of josh's continual development and growth you decided to promote bobby babich to the defensive coordinator position why did you feel like it was important to fill that role and why was bobby babich the right fit for it well you know i really feel felt good about our staff uh, overall and and um Bobby's just he's he's had success developing players at more than one position, which is impressive. Um, at first, it was with with Micah and Jordan uh, at the safety position, and then he moved to to the linebacker position, and he did the same with Terrell Bernard, uh, Tyrell Dodson, just to name a few. And so that's been that's been impressive uh, when you can take players and help them develop. Um, that's a sign of a good coach, and so. Uh, being a good position coach is one thing. However, being a being a good coordinator is another, and that remains to be seen. But uh, what Bobby has also displayed along the way has been a, a big picture perspective for defensive football, and and how the front ties to the back end, and and so um, I'm excited to see his his uh, his signature on this defense and and how he wants to grow it, and and of course I'll be helping him uh, do that as well, but. Um, uh, I'm, I'm excited already to watch the new staff that's uh, that's come in and, yeah. and some of the eager new faces that have that have signed up and um, some of it's young and some so with some youth comes some new ideas as well. So uh, we're excited about that. So with a defensive coordinator now on staff in name, which was something you didn't have last year, is Coach Babbage calling the plays this season? Well, we're going to see. Okay. Uh, yeah, still to be see. determined. It's still to be determined, okay. correct. Yeah, we're going to go through that. And um, there's a lot of days and steps between now and then. And, gotcha. and so we'll make that decision when we have to. You spoke to hiring some new coaches. If you look on the staff now, you have quite a young defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, several young new coaches. Why did you decide to look for youth in filling a lot of the opening coaching roles? Well, it's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit kind of just by by the natural evolution of identifying good coaches um, that have up, upward and upside potential to um, – they're smart. I mean, when you talk about uh, Matt Smiley, our, our special teams coordinator, you got Joe and, and, and Bobby. Um, yes, there is some unknown, right? But at the same time, to me, that's that gives me a chance to get alongside of these young coaches and help them develop. Um, but also for them to bring some new and fresh ideas to the table. Mm-hmm. And and they have a vision for how they see the game. And you have to have that as a as a coordinator, as a play caller, as a head coach, uh, more so than, than you do, at a, obviously, at a position coach level. So all coaches are important. Um, but, but to have that ability to think in more than one dimension is important. And, and I believe both of those, all three of those uh, coaches have that. As, and it feels very much like a fresh start for your coaching staff in a lot of ways. Do you think that can also apply to players going forward? Like, I know a lot of people are eager to see what Kyrie Elam can do for this defense. Could it be like a fresh start for someone like him? 
Well, it, I mean, it could be. We have a new a new uh, corners coach there, and and uh, and Jamila Dye, and excited about that, and mm-hmm. and his his ability to to uh, uh, to coach and develop players. He's done it through his college journey to this point. We'll see how he does at the NFL level, and excited about that. And watching him work with 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 Coach Dan, our safeties coach, and and um, seeing how that comes together. And so um, this will be a uh, another chapter in Kyer's Kyer's book and a chance for him to to um, step up really for us and and number one be healthy and the number two is to perform at the level that that we need him to perform at. Coach, now that it's the off season, you've had some time to look back at the film and the tape from this past year. When you've gone back and looked at everything, did you see a player that had an even better season than you remembered? Great question. It's hard to it's hard to just single it down to narrow it down to just one player because I believe a lot of the players mm-hmm. developed this season uh, staying on the defensive side. Terrell Bernard, what Terrell Bernard did, having come from where he came from, I mean, he started, I think, one game it was a year ago as a rookie. That was the Will linebacker position. It wasn't even the Mike linebacker position, the middle position that he currently plays. But there's so much more that goes into that middle linebacker position, like leadership, in addition to just doing one's job. Um, and I thought he had a magnificent year. I really did. And um, and and not only just on the field, but all, but also in terms of his leadership. Right. Mm. I remember watching. Um, I think it was Hardy had just scored the touchdown against against the Dolphins in the game that won us the division. And I walked down the sideline to address the defense to just say, "Hey, it's a big series right here." And I didn't have to because I didn't have to do that because <laughs> I didn't have to follow through because TB was already down there doing yeah. that. And and to watch the look of the of of his teammates and the look on their eyes was like, "Hey, we're with you. We got you." And you could just tell that they respect him and, and respect what he's all about and I think that says a lot about a young player in particular. And so he's he's the one that probably jumps jumps to mind right away. A lot of crooked numbers and a lot of defensive categories for him. Um last one from me. We talked about the youth movement with your coaching staff. Brandon kind of indicated at the season wrap-up press conference that with where this team is and its roster build and cap situation as well and we saw kansas city kind of take a page out of this book a couple of years ago where they had a for lack of a better term youth movement of sorts by investing heavily in the draft and their roster got younger and they moved some more veterans off the roster that they didn't want to re-sign for giant money do you anticipate that you may have to go in that direction maybe more than you have in recent years and then how does that change how you as a coaching staff have to line things up and prepare for the season if in fact you do have a younger roster right i'll start with the coaching piece first chris it's regardless if you're coaching veteran players or younger players um you're teaching right that's what you're doing you've got to convey a message get a message across to get the players to understand the technique the scheme what the why behind it right and then Moving beyond that, you know, the, the salary cap is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. We've we've got a veteran quarterback on a, on a veteran deal, and and so that narrows what's what's left a little bit. And, and Josh is, we know how how magnificent he's been for us, and and so um, what what Kansas City did to your point is they added some young youth around some of their pillars. Mm-hmm you know, Chris Jones on the defensive side in particular. And so we'll see what, how this all plays out. Right. And, and so, um, you know, we've got to find a way to get ourselves, um, to where we're ready to play games and play at a high level. That's, that's, Mm. uh, 
that's what we've done, and, and that's what we expect going forward. Coach, thanks for the time as always. We always appreciate you stopping by with us here at the Combine. Uh, good luck in those competition committee meetings. Don't be a church mouse, all right? Get your two cents in there, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. I'll do my best. Thanks, I, I kind of see you sitting there and doing a lot of listening, knowing how you are. All right, that's Coach uh, Sean McDermott joining us here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We'll take a break and be back with more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live, coming to you live from the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Chris Brown, Matty Glab with you, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that interview with head coach Sean McDermott, clearly a guy that uh, understands the importance of the NFL's competition committee and the responsibility he has. You heard the comment he made about how he got a text from Bill Polian, the former Bills GM, and Carolina Panthers and Indianapolis Colts GM, uh, who told him, having been a member of the competition committee before, be a guardian for the game. It's You have to think bigger. You can't just think about the Buffalo Bills. You have to think about the league and its future and what the game looks like going forward. It's an interesting perspective. And it's such an honor for a coach like him who, at this point, uh, is probably one of the most tenured coaches yeah. around the NFL right now who's still very young. And it was cool also, I think, to hear from Sean when he was talking about the competition committee as it relates to him becoming a better head coach and how it can improve the job that he does day-to-day in Buffalo. And so uh, hearing more about what he what he thinks of being on the competition committee, um, the interesting parts about it, I thought it was really cool to listen to him talk about their meetings that they had um, and also what he thinks he's going to get out of it. Because you hear competition committee, and it's like, okay, you're going to sit in a room and talk about these rules, talk about uh, rosters, talk about these things. I mean, is that going to be how long are those meetings? Could it get quite boring? But it seems like it, it's it's a great thing to be a part of. Yeah, and just hearing him talk about his coordinators, you know, Joe Brady, Bobby Babich, I think the Brady one is more interesting because it's it's new ground, and he, he's going to give Joe the opportunity, as he said, to put his thumbprint on the offense. So what you have is a guy that really is going to have some free license to we have the air. He's going to have some free license here to kind of really put his stamp on the offense, but it was interesting that Sean made sure that he said while he'll have license to put his stamp on the offense, he is also going to make sure that they're still doing right by Josh and what's best for him in the scope of that offense. Yeah, uh, changing offensive coordinators, especially within Josh's first several seasons in the NFL, first six seasons, He's already had a lot of success, and so you don't want to completely retool, completely reinvent something that's already good. And so it'll be fun to see what Joe Brady does taking what they've already done and and when he's already been a part of this offensive staff, but being able to put his stamp on it. Another comment that I really loved from Sean McDermott, he was asked about Joe Brady and Bobby Babbage going up against each other in training camp, just knowing the personality of those two. And... (laughs) Sean McDermott was like, it'll be interesting because these are two fiery guys, and we love to have fiery coaches on our staff. Well, because that just raises the level of the play on the field because if your coach is getting amped up, like you're just naturally going to get amped up trying to execute what he's calling. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting going forward. 
And then the comment that he made about Terrell Bernard, you know, he had more than one guy to pick from in terms of someone who really impressed him, even on the tape after watching it live all season. And for Terrell Bernard and the the place where he started to the mm-hmm. place where he finished in year one as a starter, and not just year one in an important position, but running an entire defense where just about everybody on that unit was older than him. Um, you know, you're talking to a bunch of grown men as a 23-year-old. That's not easy, and he made it look easy. That's the that's the most impressive. Him talk, Sean talking about how that Miami game, he goes over to talk to his defense, and TB's like, we got it, and all the guys around are looking at him like, he's got it, so we got it, so we're good. I think he is the perfect player for a head coach like Sean McDermott. Yeah. I think everything that Sean McDermott is, Terrell Bernard, is that in a player format. And we spoke to him at the end of the season during locker cleanout day and, and had a kind of reflect on his season and he spoke about the confidence that he was able to gain this season and and just the leadership that it takes to lead an older group of players on defense being able to find a voice in a room of players like Von Miller and Daquan Jones and some other big names and older guys who who are who are pro bowlers who are all pros Micah Hyde Jordan Poyer to find that voice you got to be on your stuff I am so proud of what he did this past season being able to see the transformation he made from year one to year two talking to him in the locker room in year one he seemed like a very young player who was trying to find his way in the NFL figure out where he fit in this defense and then in year two a completely different player with a lot more maturity about him I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table in year three and it's it really says a lot about Bobby Babbage as a linebackers coach he was the safeties coach when Micah Hyden Jordan Poyer um were in their second year, I believe. He moved, He came on as safeties coach. He started as, as an assistant defensive coach, then moved over to the safeties coach for five years with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, and then had a year with the linebackers, Terrell Bernard, Tyrell Dodson, Matt Milano. I know Matt Milano left earlier in the season, but to see how he kind of transformed that position group says a lot about what he has done yeah. as a position coach and why he deserves a defensive coordinator role. Yeah, and Sean liked the fact that he had already coached at two different levels of this defense in this scheme. So now that he's overseeing the whole thing, he already knows two-thirds of it backwards and forwards. Yeah. I mean, D-line is the only thing he hasn't coached from a position perspective, so he really expects him to hit the ground running. And one last thing about Joe Brady... You know, we were talking to some scouts on the Bills scouting staff last night, and they were saying how they like working with Joe because Joe doesn't demand anything from them in terms of a player. He just says, hey, whoever you get me, just let me know what they do well, and we'll make it work. That is music to the ears of a scout because now they don't feel like I have to find a square peg for a square hole. They just need, he's just telling, just get me good football players that can do some things and I'll make it work in the scope of the offense. And I think that's the signs of a really good coach. When you have a coach who says, hey, give me somebody who's good at X, Y, Z, whatever they're good at, I'll take him and I'll fit him into the offense that we have, or I'll find a role, or I'll, or I'll convert the offense to be able to lift him up high and, and have him be at playing at his highest level when he's on the field for us. I don't know. You hear you hear more and more now that these coaches in the NFL are, are players' coaches in that they're willing to not necessarily have their own system and you have to fit in it, 
you hear more and more that guys are willing to work around the players that they have on their roster. And I think those coaches are the coaches who, who get the most out of these players and the coaches who, frankly, get to the playoffs because you're, you're coaching around what players have to offer. You're, you're getting the best out of these guys uh, because you're, you're, fitting, you're fitting an offense, you're, you're retooling an offense, you're creating an offense uh, that is for the people on your roster. You're not saying, hey, this is the offense that I've ran for the last five years because X, Y, Z. It's no. What do we have in the locker room right now, and let me figure out how it works. Well, that's why the coordinators that last the longest in this league are the ones that are the most malleable and adaptable with their scheme to the players that they get because – Careers don't last long enough mm-hmm. from a playing perspective to rely on player A, B, and C for 10, 12 years in a row. You know, we just, we'll be talking to Brandon Bean a little bit later about how rare it is to have a safety tandem play for you for six straight seasons, seven straight seasons, which Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer did. Um, so if you're a coordinator and you're not adaptable, you're not going to last long in this league. You've got to adapt to the talent that you have at your disposal and take advantage of that, either through mismatches, through scheming guys open on offense, whatever the case might be. And it sounds, at least it sounds as though uh, Joe Brady has that in spades in terms of his skill set. So that's what's encouraging looking forward in terms of the offense. Yeah. I definitely agree. Um, it's going to be exciting to see what we have out of those two coordinators and um heard a lot from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean this afternoon, and so we're excited to bring you guys that Brandon Bean interview. Yeah. Uh, but Brandon Bean told us a lot, a lot of work cut out for them, knowing what they have to do in yeah. the next couple of weeks. I actually crunched the numbers, and the Bills are tied for the fourth most unrestricted free agents in the league. And as you know, they have the third least caps. They're the third highest over the cap in the league. So you've got the most creative accounting to do, and among the most roster rebuilding to do just in terms of 22 free agents on your roster. I think there's only three other teams with more unrestricted free agents than Buffalo. There's another team tied with them with 22. Um, so that just kind of paints the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's more work that they have to do, in my estimation, this offseason between getting cap compliant and then filling 22 projected holes. Now, Will they re-sign some of their guys? I, I think it's safe to assume that they will. Um, what's that number, though? Is it three? Mm-hmm. Is it five? Is it two? Because if it's if it's less than five, you're still talking about 17 other spots you have to fill. Okay, maybe you get eight to ten in the draft. So let's just say you get eight in the draft and five in free agency. You still got seven or eight spots on your roster that you have to fill. That, just to get back to where you were last year. Yeah. So, and it's a 90-player off-season roster. And I know only the top 51 salaries count towards your cap this time of year. But still, it's I think it's a I think it's a more daunting task this off-season uh, for the personnel department and Brandon Bean than it has been in recent years. I'm not saying it's insurmountable. There's the list is longer. I guess is the best way to to describe that. The list is longer in terms of the to-do list. That's the challenge. Yeah. I think they've they've proven they're up for the challenge and I don't know, I think about okay, what what type of GM would you want to have for, for somebody to take on this much work? I like that we have a GM who's been in this position for mm-hmm. seven years now, going on year eight, um, who's who's had to do a lot of roster construction, and I think who is ready to do something like this, who is ready um, to, to become cap compliant by by having to do quite a few things and, and then figure out, okay, 22 free agents, how do, how do these guys either fit in Buffalo or, or where do we need to go find people who can fit on this roster with what we need with 
with what to make us a Super Bowl contending team. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious and and we know that if the Bills had their druthers, they'd like a player like Daquan Jones back in the fold. But if that doesn't happen, what's the pivot point? Like, we're going to hear from Brandon in the second hour of the show, but people, you know, over the past few years, there are players that, you know, Bills fans want back, and for some reason they walk out the door, and it's like, well, the Bills were interested, and they had a value on that player to come back, um, but for whatever reason they didn't. And it's not always on the Bills. Sometimes it's on the player. Like, they wanted to go see if they could get more money in free agency. Maybe there was something with their position coach mm-hmm. that didn't sing to them, and they wanted to seek a different opportunity elsewhere. So there's such there's a myriad of reasons, and Brandon gets into that in the second hour. We're going to take a break here because when we come back, uh, we, sh- we will be talking with Raiders general manager Tom Telesco. He just finished up at the podium mm-hmm. uh, on the other side of the room here at the NFL Combine in Indy and uh, had some interesting comments. He was naturally asked about Devontae Adams, said uh, Devontae Adams is going nowhere. He's a Raider. So he kind of put that one to bed pretty quickly. (laughs) He's under contract, but people were wondering if he might be traded or something. Sounds like Tom wants to keep as many good players as he can, so we'll talk to him about that and other subjects when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you, live from the NFL Combine in Indy. And uh, joining us now is new Raiders GM Tom Telesco, also Hamburg, New York's own. So uh, we do this almost annually now, Tom. Every year. Good <laughs> Every to, year. Good to have you back. Um, uh, the wardrobe has changed a little bit. It's it now has. silver and black. Uh, so congrats on that. And, and the hiring, I guess, at least from the outside looking in, was a little bit in reverse. Usually you see the GM in place first and then the head coach. Obviously they had an interim situation, so it kind of changed things up a bit. So first question to you, how different was that process for you, knowing you had to kind of see how you meshed with Antonio? Yeah, yeah, certainly a different process, but it, it's funny. Like, he was the interim head coach, but in my mind, like, he was the head coach. Like, the way, okay. he, the way he finished the year and what they did, like, like he's the head coach. You know, it, sometimes maybe these interviews are overrated. Like, he showed what he could do on the field, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, when I went in for this job, like, for the interview, like, to me, like, he's, the, he's the head guy. So, um, but, yeah, you have to try and kind of figure out, do you mesh? Um, but uh, it was a fun process. Like I said, I didn't really see it coming. There's, just, there's a lot of GMs in this league that, you know, you're a GM for a number of years, and then you get let go, and then that's kind of it. Um, not a lot of GMs get rehired, so I uh, wasn't expecting anything. Um, kind of came up out of the blue and went there and, you know, talked with them a couple times. And I guess it was, they felt it was the right fit. I thought it was a great fit when I was there, so and it worked out. Well, you guys just hired JoJo Wooden as your senior director of player personnel. He was your former assistant GM over at the Chargers. So with him in place, do you feel that uh, you guys have everything set for your front office? You know, we're in good shape right now. When I arrived there, first of all, they have a very big staff, which is great to see. And, and um, so a lot of good people there. And, and I knew some of them already just for being in the league a long time. Um, between their college and pro staff and just watching, you know, watching how the draft meetings that took place a couple weeks ago to watch how that kind of unfolded and then we have to get ready for free agency. Uh, I think we're in a really good place um, with, with our personnel in the, in the front office and we're kind of working through to there. But, uh, yeah, luckily there's some really good people in place. Um, obviously, you know, I'm going to make some changes along the way as far as how we do things, but I also want to take some things that they've already done that work well and kind of incorporate that into, into to what I want to do and, um, you know, make this a Raiders process. How fast do you have to move on those things, or do you kind of just 
take a status quo kind of operational approach because you got business to take care of here in two weeks and then you got some spending to do in free agency and then you got draft prep is that something that's more down the line where you kind of move some pieces around and philosophically you kind of see where you need to make a shift or two great question so what i told everybody is is like i'm gonna adjust to them from now until april like, it's hard to walk in and start making all these changes. I mean, we've got so many people that work there. They've been doing one thing one way for the last right. year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the big changes will take place over the summer when we have time to kind of kind of go through them and kind of educate and teach them. Um, and it's easier for one person to adjust right now than everybody else. So right. that, I told them coming in, like, I'm going to try and, you know, go at your pace. We're going to do it the same way, uh, your same process, your same calendar. I'll make a couple of tweaks here or there, but a lot of the big changes will be in the summer. You look at the AFC West, and you've got Andy Reid, you've got Jim Harbaugh, you've got Sean Payton. You and head coach Antonio Pierce made some veteran assistant hires uh, within your coaching staff over the last several weeks. Was that done in recognition of the competition in the AFC West? Well, a lot of competition. It's like murderer's row, and I'm still <laughs> hoping Andy Reid will retire, and I keep asking him to retire, and he won't do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a who's who of coaches in our division. Um, but, uh, no, we have a really experienced staff, and I think that was important to have. Um, Antonio has a lot of experience as a player in this league, has a lot of experience in coaching, mm-hmm. just not a, a lot of experience as a head coach, and that will kind of come. Um, but actually watching work, work, work the process of hiring the assistant coaches, watching how he did it, he did it like a pro, so that was great to see. Um, but I think it's good to have people to bounce ideas off of. Marvin Lewis is, is, is great, not right. only to bounce ideas off as a coach, but he also has a great eye for talent. Um, but kind of, you know, and spread that experience across the staff. I think it's important to have. Yeah, because you had Joe Philbin on the staff, yes. a couple other guys yep. that, you know, have been in the league a long time, yes. seen a lot. Yep. Um, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're on record saying you want to bring quarterback competition in for Aiden O'Connell. Um, are you thinking veteran free agent, or what avenue do you, do you think you'll pursue to do that? Right now we need to look at all avenues. Okay. Um, and, look, I was, you know, really happy with, with what I've seen from Aiden O'Connell and even talking from people in the building um, to see what he did last year with the football team that, yeah. obviously, the head coach that was let go, he was also the offensive coordinator. So you've got a rookie quarterback playing the last half of the year with a new coordinator. The left tackle was hurt. Josh Jacobs got hurt late in the year. It was a tough situation for yeah. a young quarterback to be in, and I thought he performed really well. He's tough. He's poised. You know, he didn't play every game at a high, high level, which I don't think any rookie quarterback can. Uh, but he played played a couple games really high level, one against the Chargers. Um, but he played very consistently, and um, he's got ability to start in this league. So, But you need more than one. As we saw last year, how many quarterbacks went down through the course of the year. So you've mm-hmm. got to have multiple people there. We'll kind of look at all avenues. We'll kind of see how it shakes out. I don't know exactly. I have no answers today as I sit here. Yeah. And I probably won't have any answers when I leave here at the Combine, but uh, kind of take it from there. I know we're a ways away from the draft, but if you look at mock drafts, several of them have you taking a quarterback or an offensive lineman with that number 13th pick. Do you want to take the best player available in year one as the GM of the Raiders, or are you looking to zero in on a few positions? Yeah, it's always tough. I mean, typically we'd like to take the best player there because – the whole thing with team needs is team needs change. They change a lot. Like a, a need we have right now may not be a need in August. There may be a part of our, of, of our football team that feels really strong, and then we get to August, it's like, boy, this group isn't good enough, or somebody gets hurt. That happened with us with the Chargers when I first got there, my very first draft. The deepest group on the football team was the receiver group. 
So I really didn't think draft-wise you're probably looking at that position. And then we're in the third round, and Keenan Allen is sitting right there, and I'm looking at everybody. I'm like, my God, <laughs> I, I mean, to. like he's staring at us. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? And so we take him, fully knowing, like, look, he may be inactive all year. He may have to just redshirt the year, but we took him anyways. And then we had one receiver get hurt in OTAs, one get hurt in training camp. Another guy didn't quite play to the, the level we thought. And all of a sudden it's like, we don't have anybody. All of a sudden Keenan steps in, he's rookie of the year. So, you know, to try and just go based on where your team needs happen to be in April, I think is fool's gold sometimes. So you'd like to try and take the best player available. That's kind of how you look at mm-hmm. it. You've got a head coach who likes to run the ball. There's no secret about that. And you have a good feature guy in Josh Jacobs, but he's again a free agent. 26 years old, a team captain last year. How do you kind of navigate that? Because we know the running back market can be tricky, and we know running back longevity isn't something in plentiful supply in this league. Yeah, it's a tricky position, um, and there's a you know pretty big pool of running backs that are available this year, um, not only in free agency but a little bit in the draft as well. Um, yeah, in, in Josh's case, you know he, he's so good in the run game and the pass game and pass protect. He can do a lot of different things mm-hmm. for you, and you know we've got a young quarterback right now um, that you know could probably use that guy behind him. Um, so we'll kind of work through that and explore it. He's like he's, as I said on the podium before, like we want to get to a point where we're resigning our own players rather than signing, you know, UFAs from other teams. So yeah. the fact that I didn't draft Josh doesn't bother me. Like he's a Raider, he's drafted a Raider, he's already shown he's a really good player. These are the type of guys that we want to bring back. You're projected to have about forty-two million dollars of cap space to work with. How do you expect to use free agency to fill some of the needs that you guys have? Yeah, we're gonna have to use it a little bit this year. I'd rather not use it a lot, but just. You know, I'm just arriving here. Antonio really is a new, it's a new regime, really. So mm-hmm. we're starting from scratch. Um, we're going to have to use the supplement a little bit this year just to kind of get the team where we need to go, at least initially. So, um, you know, we're going to look probably a good amount of positions and try and, you know, spread them out the money as much as we can. I know you probably have dealt with this already, but, you know, the Bills are a team still trying to get past the Chiefs, just like everybody else seemingly in the AFC. And, while they don't make their roster decisions solely on beating the, based solely on beating the Chiefs, they are the team to beat, like, yeah. at the end of the day. So, you know, you've been in the division a while already, so you know what you're up against. Do you have to take what makes them successful into consideration, or are you more in a foundational stage with this team right now where you just got to kind of focus on you guys? I'd like to say the book answer would be, hey, I'm focused on us. But, my God, you can't help but see them They're right there. And, and I've watched them for the last 11 years. Yeah. So, you know, as you're building your team, you can't help but think back to, well, how does this line up with the Chiefs? How does this line up with Mahomes? Um, it always enters your mind. Um, but you do have to try and account for, hey, you know, the other teams in our division, where are they weak? Where can we attack them? And that's how we build our team as well. So it's one big, long process. But, yeah, you can't help but see who's there yeah. you know, and, and to know what quarterback is there. Well, Tom, we appreciate the time as always. Um, you know, are you gonna get back to you gonna get back to Western New York in the summer? You... That's the plan. Yeah. That's the plan. At least for a nice. couple of days. It's just you know sometimes it's hard to figure out. And now that we're gonna have to move to Las Vegas, that could affect things. But we'd love to get back. But uh, tell Steve Tasker and Murph I said hello. Yeah, we will definitely do and, that. And uh, mm-hmm. no, thanks for always having me on. And yeah, good luck this season. All right, get, appreciate get it. things going there yes. in Las Vegas with much. the Raiders. Thanks, good Tom. luck to you. Thank you. That is Tom Telesco, Raiders GM, joining us here on One Bills Live. We'll take a break, but when we come back for hour number two, Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean will be joining us. We'll chat with him next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to hour number two of One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab, and joining us now is Bills General Manager Brandon Bean, live here at the NFL Combine. And thanks, as always, for giving us some time, as you do every year here. We appreciate it. Um, let's just jump right into it. I would imagine this would, clar- this would qualify as good news. You get the salary cap figure. It's 255.4. So the question is, how much do you feel that has reduced the burden that sits in front of you of becoming cap compliant? Yeah, I mean, listen, every dollar uh, is a dollar you can use in, in your advantage. So uh, it's, it's, it's definitely good to finally have that because we've been speculating and, and we were not speculating that high. You're always trying to take a conservative right. approach to, to what you're doing. But uh, we're, we've been looking at everything. We've had conversations with different players about different things. Um, some of that has started. Some of those will pick up this week. Um, and, you know, we know we've got a, a time crunch here, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the next couple of weeks that we have to be in compliance. But, yes, um, 255, much better than 245. <laughs> Not as good as 265. But uh, uh, we're happy. We'll take what we can get. Right. And uh, we still have work to do. Yeah. Brandon, you guys have quite a few free agents. We heard from Sean McDermott yesterday, and he talked about Gabe Davis and just how much this team has loved Gabe Davis and what he's offered to the offense. But he's somebody who's a free agent. Have you guys had any discussions with him in his camp yet? Yeah, I mean, we've we've always, with our most of our players, we've had some kind of conversation, whether it was the spring, the summer, uh, in-season, post-season. You know, it's never been a, we're not going to talk about it. Like, we, we're always open dialogue hearing them out, them hearing us. Um, Gabe is, is is one of those guys that special love for, you know, and you guys have heard, we've always want to say we want to draft, develop, and mm-hmm. sign. Um, there is a cap on everything, right. and we've had to see. Last year we had to see a Tremaine Edmonds walk, and there, there's been a guy here or there that, you know, you're still trying to fit the puzzle, and, and as we every year into paying a quarterback, uh, it get you know, the you know the allotment just gets gets a little tighter, so yeah. um, we'll we'll have open conversations, um, you know, with Gabe and, and his reps all the way up uh, into free agency, and and we'll see where it goes. Um, you would always love to to keep a guy like Gabe. He's been such a pro uh, team captain this year, which was which was cool and an honor for him. And um, you'll never get me, you know, saying a bad word about Gabe. He's he's been awesome the four years, and uh, we'll find out here in a few weeks if it's something we're able to continue or not. I know from a sheer numbers standpoint, there's work to do on the D-line there. I mean, mm-hmm. eight of your 12 guys are unrestricted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned at your season wrap-up press conference, Daquan was kind of a guy you'd love to have back in the yeah. fold. So I, I assume you're kind of traveling down that same path. But at the same time, with your cap situation, and I know I think you've mentioned this in past years, you kind of say, hey, here's the value we put on you. Mm-hmm. If you want to try to see if you can do better in the market, that's your prerogative and absolutely go and do that but here's where we are do you do that with people like daquan that you want back in the fold yes definitely at the at the right time with each guy and and listen we listen it's it's an open dialogue like some guys they're like hey i really want to stay here i don't want to leave let's see if we can knock this out i'd rather not wait to free agency some players are like hey you know what i've gone this far i'd like to i want to have conversations i want to know if you guys are interested but I don't know if I want to commit till you know my agent does some research at the combine and and then the you know the couple the weeks you know from once we leave here till it actually starts. So um, it's an open dialogue. Every situation's its own. But um, you know with Daquan, yes, we'll we'll have conversations, and if we can get it worked out, 
you know, a value that works for him and, and a value that works for us, we'd love to have But that's got to be tough because you've got a laundry list of people that you want to try to get some kind of definitive response on to like, hey, this is headed in this direction. All right, let's budget that yeah. accordingly. This is in this direction. Let's budget that. Okay, this guy does want to come back. We can budget. But if you've got guys that want to wait, it's yeah. like, hey, the, the clock's ticking here. Yeah. It's the problem, and they you know got to massage that, like, constantly. You do, and you're always you're playing a little bit of poker here, too, yeah. right? Because, um, you know, you're also filling out the market. What are the options at that position in, in Daquan's case, D tackle? Like, what are your what are your other viable options? Should he go elsewhere? And it is a game. You know, that is one of the things. If you take it into free agency, we have to also assume that you're going to leave. So, once that negotiating window opens two days prior, it's kind of we're all we're all kind of in this it's open season. It's open season, and if we don't have a deal in place or something that seems imminent. Then we also have to have conversations with other players at that position. You got to do right by the organization at the end. We got to protect the Bills first and foremost. We want the best for all our guys. Who wouldn't want Gabe Davis, Daquan Jones? Run down the gamut. I mean, we we love our guys. There's 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 very few times I'm going. I'm done with that guy. I wouldn't want to see him back in a Bills uniform. Mm. Well, we really want to get an update on Trey White and Matt Milano's health. We've seen both of them in the building rehabbing. So where are they at um, in that rehab process? And then with Trey White, is it a how do you kind of balance where this team is at with the cap situation and then the injury that he had? Because it does take quite some time to recover from that injury. Yeah, you know, Trey, uh, we've talked about it. You know, we'll start with him. It's just uh, what he's meant to this organization and everything he's done and and to have the injury in 21, we all saw him work so hard to come back. Um, probably wasn't looking like the Trey White that he wanted to be at the end of the 22 season. But really we're starting to see him come into form. Um, I'm not going to say he was all the way back or not. You'd have to ask him. But uh, you were definitely seeing a guy who was trending up. And then all of a sudden this Achilles on the other side pops. And it's just like... Man, can can the guy get a break? Yeah. And it's just you know you feel for him. And but once again, he has attacked this thing. Uh, he's in there all the time. I've had breakfast with him a couple of times uh, here since the season's ended because you know these guys are. It's lonely. You got a locker room full of seventy five, eighty players, and all of a sudden you got three or four guys mm-hmm. you know rehabbing down there. But he has worked super hard. He's he's been a main staple here since Sean and I got here and. Um, you know, he, he's, he's continuous rehab. I don't have, like, a definitive timeline of yet when he'd be back, but he's doing well, working hard, everything you would expect from Trey White. And then what about Matt Milano as well? Yeah, Matt, thanks for the reminder. Um, so Matt, same thing. He he had a recent uh, visit uh, with the, with one of the docs that did his surgery, and, and so all is going well. It's a, it's a little bit of a, a different injury than, uh, you know, a, an ACL or an Achilles or things that happen to a lot of football players. So... Um, we're still working with him. He's working his way back, very positive, you know, anticipating him, his things to continue to ramp up. I don't know what yet he would look like in OTAs if we would even have clearance uh, for mm-hmm. him to fully participate. I think it's one of those things you'll see him on the side or doing stuff, and maybe there's a chance. Um, but we're optimistic uh, that Matt will be ready to go at the right time when, when, when the pads come on. Okay, so like training camp, it's probably trending good for that. You think? Or? We, you know, as we sit here today, I, w- I would say so. Okay. Um, but it's we still got a lot of time. Yeah, and and I I wouldn't want to sit here and say it's day one of training camp either. I just I think it's uh, he is working hard. Um, he's doing well. 
the updates so far have been positive. Right. And you know Matt, like he's he's a super optimistic guy. Just sleeps, eats ball all the time. It's all you almost have to force him to <laughs> go enjoy right. himself a little bit. Uh, you said last month. No big splashes in free agency based on the cap situation. So what should we expect? How would you describe how you feel you're going to be able to proceed in the free agent market? Yeah, I mean, part of that is is we're still working through, like, what can we create? Um, you know, we're not trying to also pile up a huge dead cap hit in, right. in one year or anything like that. So we're we're trying to, you know, we're looking at various you know, options, whether we extend a guy, whether we alter his current contract, whether we um, just just uh, convert him and, and, again, put it on the credit card and move it down. So we're looking at everything every guy's um, had. You saw we got Connor McGovern done, which was just a straight mm-hmm. um, kind of move it down. We, we're working. We got kind of buckets for each yeah, I can imagine. Each one, and we're trying to massage it and get it down. Yes, the, the 255 number helped for what we need to get under, but you're right. Now how much can you get under that you can go spend? And, and one of the things that gets lost, Chris, is you still have to save money for draft picks. Rookie pool. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, we, and you're going to spend three, three and a half million on practice squad players. Like people don't realize, uh, and then replacement players. Like we. I think we spent over five million bucks on replacement players this year. Yeah, for injury, right? So um, those things add up, and you can't go into the season, you know, with a hundred dollars in your pocket and expect to make yeah. it through a seventeen-game season. So all of those things. So just because you're five million under doesn't mean you really have five million to spend. We're also kind of preparing, you know, to be able to go into the season and pay your practice squad and also replacement players. When you look at free agency, the market for veteran safeties this year will be quite flooded again, just like it was last year. How does that impact your approach to going after that position, knowing that there's quite a few safeties on this roster set to become free agents? Yeah, I mean, I think it it does help, and it kind of goes back to that, that conversation of, of who you're bringing back, um, you know, who and what position they're going to fill, what what are their strengths, what is out there in the market. Again, what is the price? What are we looking for um, out of our safeties? You know, we've, we've been fortunate here to have two guys, uh, you know, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer for almost all of, you know, seven seasons, which mm-hmm. is something I've been in this league 26 years now or something. I've never seen a safety tandem stay together for that long either due to – you know, injury or free agency or, or, or whatever. So uh, we've been spoiled. And and so uh, trying to, you know, find guys to continue that is, is, is never going to be easy. But uh, we'll we'll still work through our stuff and, and we'll, we'll pay attention to not only our own guys but what else is out there uh, as, as we look to fill spots. We've seen, and maybe it's partly due to the fact that you have less – time on the field in pads for players but we've seen a lot of your guys really kind of crescendo in the third year of their rookie contract spencer brown uh dawson knox i mean you can run down the list of guys that have done that this is year three coming up for kyrie elam um knowing the year three history of a lot of your draft choices and the fact that there is some new young blood on the defensive staff on the back end of your coaching staff defensively do you think it could be a fresh start this year for Kyrie? Yeah, you hope so. Listen, um, I thought, you know, it was kind of a weird year. I thought he started camp really well. He has this foot deal that was probably bothering him more than he let on. Yeah. Uh, it affected him. And then, 
we kind of we finally set him down because he he did not look like the same guy. We set him down, and I thought when he came back, he was playing much more free. Obviously, he had the interception, and uh, you know he would probably say he should have had two, and, and, and we would <laughs> echo that. Would you know if he catches that ball against Pittsburgh? But um, Kyrie is a guy that we still have a lot of belief in, and sometimes a fresh you know start for anyone is good. But we left it um, even before coaching changes or whatever happened with our defensive staff. We left it with him that hey. Uh, come back here, ready to roll, new, fresh, you know, just all new outlook. Let, let's go. Let's let's hit the ground running. Hopefully, no setbacks. And uh, you know, Kyer's done some good things for us. Has everything been perfect? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, we've had some other guys that um, this is a different animal from college to pro, and, and some guys get to there quicker than others. They're not all going to be a you know a Dalton Kincaid or you know even you know Cybo this year. Yeah. Uh, some guys take a little longer, you know. AJ Epinesa, Spencer Brown. Uh, Spencer Brown. I thought Epinesa in his, you know, third and fourth year really, you know, ascended as well yeah. from what he was kind of his first two years. During the last couple press conferences that you guys held uh, heading into the offseason, we heard from you and Sean and several players saying, you know, this team is one to two plays away from getting over that hump, from winning the big time games, from to getting into an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. Once you looked back at, at the season and the film, is there something concrete that you need within this offense, whether it's in the free agency or in the draft, that, that you think you can get those one to two plays? Well, I think, again, Maddie, it all, we always believe it starts up front. Obviously, you've got to have a quarterback, mm-hmm. and, and we all believe in Josh. Um, and I think this was the best year for our O-line um, since we had been here. I thought it was our best group. Fortunately, I know we had some injuries on defense. Fortunately, you know, on offensive line, those guys all stuck together and played out all year. I thought that really helped our offense. And then, so you start there because you can, that allows you to run the ball. I thought we had some really good games, especially late in the year running the ball. It also helps you, you know, pass protect. I thought our pocket was was as clean as it had been in years for Josh, which give, that's where it starts. And then you're talking about adding weapons, you know, whether it's Diggs, Kincaid, Cook out of the backfield. Shakir came on late. Just the various pieces. So we'll always look for guys. You know, I said that when we drafted Kincaid. Like, what are some mismatch pieces? Mm-hmm. Don't get caught up in running back or receiver or tight end or whatever skill position it is. Um, if there's a mismatch player that we can add to this offense that gives Joe Brady and staff just different opportunities because you play all sorts of defenses. You play teams that want to press. You play teams that want to just play too high shell and, and play back and make you dink and dunk the ball down the field. So you want as many options as you can because you're going to face different battles, teams that want to blitz the heck out of you, teams that rarely blitz. So how many answers can we provide to our coaches for each week because every week is its own, you know, kind of its own game uh, in itself of how you game plan. You mentioned or at least threw it out there last month that your season wrap-up that you may have to rely on some younger players here going forward just, again, to the nature of your cap and where you can spend and how much you can spend. And I know sometimes in the past you've also referred to the Kansas City build being one or two years ahead of you guys because they got started one or two years ahead of you guys. And they went with a big youth movement a couple of years ago. Do you kind of feel like you're at that point in your build? Yeah, I, th- I think we're definitely going to have to rely. It's just a, it's the nature of, of, of the beast with the cap. They obviously made a big decision a couple of years ago to part with Tyreek Hill, which I'm sure was not easy. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, we, <laughs> we get to face him now twice a year instead of once yeah. a year. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, 
that was not an easy decision for them, but they did it knowing where their cap was and that they were going to have to rely on youth. So, yes, as that cap tightens to where it has tightened on us, just, again, more years. Every year you're adding a franchise quarterback onto there, you're, you're going to have to push money down, and, and which we'll have to continue to yeah. do. But uh, you will have to rely on more young players, and, and that's where the onus, I'm looking at the man in the mirror, uh, I've got to do a really good job of putting our scouts on the right guys, pointing them to me and us finding value in when we're shopping in free agency. And then, you know, right now we've got 10 picks in this draft. We've got, we've got to hit them, and we've got to count on them. And we're going to have to get some guys up to speed, and, and we may have to roll out some guys earlier than we have before. They've got to be ready. And, again, it starts with me making sure that, uh, that we're bringing the right guys in. Speaking of hitting on those picks, we're at the NFL Scouting Combine. You've been doing interviews with prospects. They're about to test in the next couple of days as well. Where do you see depth in this year's draft class? I think that I think it's a pretty good class. I mean, I do think you know on the offensive side, um, it seems like every year there's just receivers. Um, so you, you start there. Um, offensive line. I think there's some tackles. There's also some tackles that can play guard. Um, you know, I would say there's more tackles than guards this year, where some years it's been the other way. Mm. Um, on, on defense, I think there's some, some D-line. I, I do think there's some tackles and ends. Uh, I think there's some guys on the back end as well. So I think we'll have some opportunities to find some players in, in various rounds. We're obviously just now getting to know some of these guys other than the ones we met at the Senior Bowl. So it's, it's been a fun start, um, and we'll know a lot more at the end of the week. Brandon, I know you got a lot of work over the next two weeks. Good luck getting it done. Thanks, as always, for the time. And uh, we'll catch up with you a little bit later on down the line here this offseason. Good luck. Sounds good. Thanks. All Thanks, right, Brandon. that's Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, joining us here on One Bill's Live. We'll take a break. We'll be back with plenty more before we're done here on a Tuesday edition. It's One Bill's Live, presented by Collider Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown here at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, and we want to pass along our next interview to you. We had the opportunity to sit down with NFL lead draft analyst for the NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah, who covered a number of topics, including depth positions in the draft and what the Bills might be looking at at pick 28. So let's turn now to Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. All right, we've got uh, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network lead draft analyst, uh, crunching 300-some-odd guys into his brain uh, for another year here. And, uh, Daniel, we've got to start here as far as uh, your top 50 prospects, which I know you put your initial list out a little while back, and the three positions that had the highest number of prospects, corner with seven, offensive tackle with eight, and wide receiver with 11, which is music to the ears of Bills fans who know they're picking 28th and probably realize Gabe Davis might get priced out of their range with their cap issues that they have. Question for you is, how far do you feel the quality receiver depth carries through day two and day three? Well, I think it definitely carries through day two. I mean, I think you can find second and third round wide receivers that can come in and play and be impactful okay. right away. I mean, it's it's kind of a, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. The colleges, that's just what we're getting. Yeah. It, it goes all the way, you know, all the way back to high school, seven on seven, and then every college running a spread offense and chucking it all over the place that I feel like every year we've got just a ridiculous number of wideouts. Well, we'll get to some of those wideouts later in this interview, but we want to talk about depth in this draft class overall. And if you look at Buffalo's defensive line, eight of the 12 defensive linemen that were on contract last season, only eight of them 
four of them are on under contract mm-hmm. for this upcoming season. Yeah. So that means you have, you have eight free agents. So Buffalo is going to have to address that spot in the draft and probably free agency. We know free agency is around the corner first, mm-hmm. but they could address that spot in the draft as well. So can you help us uh, by looking at the defensive line class that we have and compare and contrast the edge rushers and the defensive tackles coming out of this year's draft? Sure. I think when you start with the edge rushers, to me there's three guys that kind of separate themselves from the bunch. And I, I don't think Buffalo is going to see any of the three. So the last of which would, would be, sorry, <laughs> I apologize officially. Uh, but Latu from UCLA would be the one just because of some medical stuff. Mm-hmm. He had been medically retired at Washington before he got to UCLA. Huh. So just seeing how he comes through that process, yeah. that would be the only one I think maybe very small chance he would be there. But Dallas Turner is going to be gone. Jared Verse is going to be gone. So you're looking at like Chop Robinson, you know, potentially from Penn State could be an option there. Denarius Robinson uh, from Missouri. Uh, those are kind of those guys in that mix. And then defensive tackle-wise, you know, I think there's a chance you, you have somebody there. Yeah. You know, it's not, a, it's not a deep group of defensive tackles, but I think of that top group, you know, you've got Murphy from Texas. He'll likely be gone. Uh, Newton from Illinois is possible. I think that's an area where you could see potentially him being still there. Um, but it's not, to get to your question, I don't think either one of those positions, when we talk about receiver, if it's close and you have a receiver versus a you know either a defensive tackle or an edge mm-hmm. rusher, take the defensive tackle or the edge rusher. You can get the receiver later okay. on, but it's going to fall off a cliff when you look at those defensive lines. Okay. All right, well, that kind of gives us an idea on which way Brandon <laughs> might be leaning yeah. at the end of round one, especially right. knowing his propensity to take defensive linemen <laughs> in his history uh, in round one. Uh, Safety is a position that looks like it's going to be experiencing turnover for the first time in a long time for yeah. the Bills. You know, we know Micah Hyde is probably contemplating retirement, uh, among other things, as far as his career is concerned. He's not under contract. Jordan Poyer has a big cap number, and it's not certain if he is a full-time safety or if he's, if he's is he a sub-package linebacker kind of guy, which is a role he filled this past year when Milano got hurt. So there's some stuff in the state of flux there, and they got a couple of other free agents at the position too. I'm expecting Bean to address safety and free agency because it is a chock-full class yeah. of veteran free agents. Um, but what about the draft and safety talent maybe day two day three is there not guys to step in and start but maybe guys to backfill their roster knowing brandon's probably going free agency route yeah your your options are much greater in free agency the draft wise this year i don't have a safety in my top 50 yeah so I saw that. you get to to <laughs> me it's it you know newbins is from minnesota he's got a chance to go in the top 50 he's, he's nice got a player. ton of production so that would be the one i would say that wouldn't shock me if he landed somewhere in there. We'll see how these guys work out and run, and maybe somebody will launch themselves up into that mix. But um, you've got Kinchins from uh, from Miami. Miami. He's an interesting one. He's kind of right there in that mix. you got Bullard from Georgia. Uh, you got Tyke Smith, the other safety yeah. I kind of like as a depth piece later on. So there's going to be guys. I mean, that's the good news is if you're saying I'm not looking for a, a starter, I'm looking yeah. for somebody that can kind of backfill and play, play on teams, teams and yeah. get in maybe some sub packages and, and find a role on the team. That's what the safety class is. Okay. Well, we've heard about wide receiver at length already, especially the top three guys. We know the Bills won't be around for those top three guys, but wide receiver has been a popular position mock to the Bills at number 28 because you could see a few guys still hanging around there in the late 20s, depending on when the other wide receivers start to go, aside from Roma Adunze, Malik Neighbors, and Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr., 
Brian Thomas Jr. has been a popular name mocked to the Bills at number 28. I feel like he's just got a great body of work, a true um, talented wide receiver with some versatility to him, had a lot of touchdowns (laughs) during his time at LSU. So does he have true number one potential? What do you think the Bills would get in a wide receiver like that? And and how would you see him fitting into Buffalo's scheme? Sure, I'll, I'll get to that in just one second. This is what I love about the combine, by the way. Because I'm just sitting here, we're, we're having a good conversation, yeah. and Joe Shane's over the Giants, and he just sees me and gives me the head nod. I give him the head nod, and we both go about our, our interviews. That's what's so great about it. Uh, Buffalo Zone, Joe Shane. Uh, but to me, look, Brian Thomas is easy. Like mm-hmm. To me, we'll get a chance to see him show a more variety of routes out here when he works out as well as his pro day. He didn't have to do a bunch of different routes there at LSU. It was death by slot fade with those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just won yeah. vertically uh, time after time after time. But he's fast, he's smooth, he can go up and get it, play above the rim down there in the red zone. So I'd be curious as we get through the press. I don't think he'll be there when Buffalo yeah. picks. Um, if he is, that might be that might be the one case where I'd, I'd fudge on my rule that I just told you about taking the defensive player. <laughs> that, well, holy cow, this guy's still there. Yeah. I might take him. Um, but, no, a, a really, really talented guy, man. He's, he's so much fun to watch and so silky smooth. A lot of times when you're scouting, you get – fast stiff guys and you get slow smooth guys you don't see fast smooth guys very often mm-hmm. right and he is one of those fast and smooth um adonai mitchell is a guy that transfers to texas wanted to be closer to his daughter from what i understood and that's why he made the transfer because he's a texas kid not a big body of work but some big time performances in some big time games played on a georgia team that kind of spread the wealth around and it kind of ran through bowers in the passing game for the better part of the last three years so how do you evaluate a guy like that whose body of work isn't huge but has some big time performances in some big time games i mean that guy loved playing against alabama two touchdowns last year for texas he had the game-winning touchdown in the semifinal when he was back at georgia against alabama how do you evaluate a guy like that he had an unbelievable catch against washington this year too in the semifinal so um, look, the skills are all there. I, I think to me, and you're going to see it, he is going to put on a show. He's going to run. Yeah. He's going to run like crazy. He's going to jump out of the building. So he's going he's to help himself by what he does from the end of the season till we get to the draft. And to me, with him, it's just about, okay, can you get in private workouts, get a chance to just see more volume, see him run more routes, uh, catch the ball. I didn't have any issues when I watched him. I'm like, I don't know where the, really the hole is other than the fact he just doesn't get a ton of work. Yeah. Uh, but it's all, it's all in there. To me, he's a... Like he is a twenty to thirty-five guy. He's gonna. He's not gonna get out of the top of the second round. That's the. That's the floor. Yeah. For where he's gonna go, especially after he tests. Another wide receiver that we've been seeing pop up in mock drafts heading to the Bills at number 28 is Troy Franklin. And he's a wide receiver that's a field stretcher. He can separate with his speed. He's got good versatility to him. But are there any concerns with his frame being around 180 pounds? I wish he was bigger. Um, I do. I mean, it's it's fascinating. We were going to have this uh, discussion off of last year because we had so many lean frame guys. Right. And we had, and then, you know, the, the funny part was I remember having conversations. We might have even done it on the podcast with Bucky, which was halfway through the year, we're like, man, this is going to change everything because Tank Dell is tearing this league apart. Like, yeah. nobody can cover Even Devontae Smith early, a couple of years yes. earlier. Yes, and then, and then we get to the end of the year, and Tank Dell's not playing anymore because yeah. he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's the dilemma. Is that I'm not saying that you can't play and be successful as a lean, light player. It's hard to stay on the field it's as a, a lean, game light. season. Yeah, 100%. Too. So, that goes into that evaluation. Right. And, you know, 
It'll be interesting to see how much water weight he's carrying with him this week. I have a feeling he might be a little bit north of that number. The other two parts of that University of Washington trio, I mean, I know you love Adunze. He's your favorite player in the draft. He's going to be long gone. But what about Polk and McMillan? How would you categorize those two in terms of receiver type? And would you call them consistent separators? So I would say Polk's not really the separator. He's more kind of a bully, um, just real physical, 50-50 balls. Tough and rugged after the catch as well. Um, that, that's more his style. McMillan's probably more of a little quick in and out, you know, separate type. Um, you probably would say he'd be kind of in the Shakur mode. Oh, okay. You know? It's kind of like what you're trying to use him. That's how his role will look like at the next level would be my guess. But, yeah, I mean, that, those guys have, have played a lot of football. They're solid players, but you're right. I mean, the, the distance between Adunze and the other, and those, just, that's, a, that's a healthy gap. All right, fair enough. All right, but yeah, it might cost you a little bit to get up to get Adunze, I think. That might be a little expensive. <laughs> I, that's not happening. I, I, uh, Daniel, we know you're busy, and we're making the rounds here on Radio Row, so we appreciate the time. So thanks very much for doing it. I enjoyed it. All right, that's NFL lead draft analyst for NFL Network. Daniel Jeremiah joining us here a little bit earlier. We had to uh, pre-tape his interview because he's got other obligations here. So uh, good to catch up with Daniel as we try to do every year here at the NFL Combine. We'll take a break here, but when Maddie and I come back, we'll kind of close up shop and have some final thoughts on a very busy Tuesday here at the NFL Combine in Indy. It's One Bills Live presented by Collada Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live, Tuesday edition here at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. And, well, that was a busy day, huh? Oh Holy mackerel. <laughs> that was a lot, a lot of interviewing, a lot of questions. But I think we got some good answers, particularly out of Brandon Bean, who usually is uh, pretty self-effacing, mm-hmm. as GMs go, I think, in this league. And I think some of the things that I came away with from the conversation we had with Brandon was, yes, there is a laundry list of things that have to get done in a very short period of time. And you know that they've had meetings and they've laid out preliminary plans and they probably have contingency plans laid out too. But that's why I followed up with him on that one answer he was giving us about, well, you might have a guy that says, well, I want to wait and my agent wants to see what he can get on the market. And it's like you may have had this plan lined up to give player X this level of a contract. And now he's like, well, hold on a second. I want to see what I can get in the market. And now you're like, well, heck, we may have to pivot off this guy and try to find a comparable player in the free agent market if he's going to go into the market himself because we don't know if we're going to get him back. And that's part of the shifting and morphing and changing of the off-season plan that is happening on a daily basis, basically from now until the bell rings on March 13th when you can start signing people. And I think about what you just said as it relates to the defensive line position group, knowing that only four defensive linemen are under contract for the 2024 season out of the 12 that played on the roster this past season and how that works with, okay, we're going to allocate X to maybe this player and we need to budget X for these couple of spots, whether it's edge rushers or defensive tackles and kind of how you work to fit those puzzle pieces together within one position group because I would imagine the more free agents you have at one position group the harder that gets Um, some of the position groups where maybe you just have one or two guys you have to fill spots for not as hard as a position group where you might have to bring on 
multiple free yeah. agents. And here's the other thing, too, that we have to mention. Like, we asked Brandon to kind of follow up on what he talked about at his season wrap-up press conference with, you know, the roster's probably going to have to get younger. And we kind of just asked him for to elaborate a little bit more on that, and I thought he did and pretty much confirmed Yes, we have to get younger. Well, now look at the free agents on the defensive line for the Bills. Daquan Jones, over 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Jordan Phillips, over 30 years old. Shaq Lawson, over 30 years old. Uh, Linval Joseph, over 30 years old. I mean, more than half of that group is on the backside of their career in a, in an, in, on a team that wants to get younger. So not only do you have holes to fill, you're probably filling the majority of those with younger players right so now it becomes a task of not only do we have to fill the holes we got to fill them with new people at least like i'm just looking at it this way maddie in all likelihood if you fill all eight spots with all of the avenues you can pursue in free agency to add talent i'm of the belief that at least four of those eight spots are going to be new players to the bills roster yeah at least four maybe more yeah a number like eight guys who are set to become free agents uh, that were on this roster this past season. Yeah, there's going to be a big number of new faces in this building. And we talk about, I want to relate this back to the draft too and what we heard from Daniel <clears throat> Daniel Jeremiah with mm-hmm. the defensive line class and maybe lack thereof of top-tier, top-end talent that the Bills could get within the first or second round. It seems like based on what Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah said is that there is quite a big drop-off once you get to the middle half of the second round, third round, whatever you want to call that, um, and that if there is somebody available in the first round that's a talented edge rusher or defensive tackle that the Bills have sticking out there on the board, maybe that's an option that they go after knowing what the defensive line position commands on the free agent market, knowing if you want to bring Daquan Jones back, he's going to demand some money, and how, how much else... How much other money do you have to allocate to the defensive line room if you're bringing a player like Daquan Jones back, but you also want to invest in your future at that position? Yeah, and and that's and then look, we'll have a better picture as to what the demands and the holes that remain on the defensive line are when we get to the draft because you'll already be a month and a half into right. free agency. So the picture will be clearer, um, not to say that if they get to the draft and there's still three holes on the defensive line, that they're going to draft three def- defensive linemen because last year we saw Brandon Bean sign defensive tackle Puna Ford and defensive end Leonard Floyd in May and June. So it's not like, well, the, the draft's the only other play, but we got to get three guys. It doesn't work that way. But knowing how Brandon Bean has orchestrated the offseason with his personnel department, I think we can expect at least two to three holes being filled in the free agent market prior to the draft, probably another two or three in the draft, and then maybe another two, maybe three after the draft. And, you know, what is left on the market, I think, might say a lot about how aggressive they are in the draft about what defensive line talent they acquire. I think what the board tells them to do is also going to largely weigh into that. But just looking at the age of Buffalo's defensive linemen that are free agents... I, I can't see more than four of them coming back. I would, th- I might even say, as many as five might be out the door and not returning. Leonard Floyd's going to be too expensive. Mm-hmm. He's gone. 
uh, I think that's a foregone conclusion. All you need is one team to really like A.J. Epinesa in the season he put together. I know, and, I know. And he becomes too costly to come back. And that's a 26-year-old player who you'd like to get back in the fold, but yeah. he might be too costly. Um, and then you have all the 30-plus-year-old guys that I laid out already. Um, I think Tim Settle is still under 30, but he's a role player. Mm-hmm. He's not a front-line starting player. So, yes, he might be affordable, but he not, might not be filling the hole that you need him to fill. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of decisions to be made at this position, not only because of the holes that you have, but because of the age of some of the players that could be walking out the door. So now you've got to get fresh new bodies in here. And, now, and, and then after that, Maddie, even if you do fill all the holes – then it's on the coaching staff exactly. to make it all fit together and work in similar fashion to what's been so successful for them in years past. And we talked to some scouts last night. We heard them explain that with Terrell Bernard. It was on the scouting department to find a pick that, that worked for the Bills at that linebacker yeah. spot and believe in somebody, and then you get into the building and you coach that player to to play better than what you saw of him during college football, during his college football days. And they were able to do that with Terrell Bernard, and he is such a young player and has so much in front of him and I think has a really high ceiling with where he can get to uh, with and with what he's already shown us. I mean, this kid is so talented. Maybe they can do that with, with a younger defensive lineman in this year's draft class or whoever they decide to go after with a few of those first picks. And then with defensive linemen and free agency, maybe the Bills will also get lucky like they did with um, Leonard Floyd. They signed him so late. He, yeah. was, he was out there sticking out there. And maybe there's a couple of defensive linemen where they're still on the market in May and in June. And, and the Bills would be... in would probably be more inclined to wait and sign people like that in May and June because of the compensatory pick formula that also comes into play as well. If you lose A.J. Epinesa to a big contract to another team, you lose Leonard Floyd to a big contract to another team, just like they lost Tremaine Edmonds to a giant contract, now you have the opportunity to gain compensatory picks the following year if you wait on signing guys in the early free agency period. Because once you get to the draft, the equation of free agents that you sign no longer applies. You're outside that window that they assess, mm-hmm. hey, did you have a net loss of free agents last spring? And if you get past that point and then you sign people, they don't count towards your tally anymore. So they signed Puna Ford and Leonard Floyd last year, and they didn't count towards Buffalo's free agent pluses and minuses. And because of that, Buffalo had a net loss of free agents and they lost a free agent to a high-priced contract. So if Floyd and Epinesa get offered big-time contracts, that's also an opportunity for Buffalo to gain more compensatory picks the following year, as we're expecting them to do this year, because the general consensus is the Bills are going to get a third-round draft choice for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds last year with that giant contract that he signed in Chicago. So that's a you know that's a lesser consideration right now. You've got bigger fish to fry right now as far as navigating you know the getting into cap compliance and things of that nature the other position that i want to talk to you about was what both brandon bean and daniel jeremiah said about the safety position it looks like at safety you're really only going to find backup caliber special teams like safety talent in the draft that can help you in those capacities in year one backup player special teams so that means Buffalo is going to have to find 
their potentially two new starting safeties, Mm -hmm. depending on what happens with Jordan Poyer and his cap figure, in free agency. As you asked him, ton ton of talent in the safety market, so maybe it doesn't come at a steep price. But it sounds like that's where they're going to have to find the replacements. Yeah, if if you're looking for somebody to step into a starting role right away, knowing that there's quite a few free agents at that safety position, Taylor Rapp, Micah Hyde, Cam Lewis, to name a few players, you want somebody who's going to be able to, to fit into this defense and play right away. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find that through the draft, knowing that Daniel Jeremiah said there is not one safety on his top 50 board, yeah. the Bills may have to just go after that in free agency and maybe be willing to pay a little bit more than they wanted to right and you would hope you would hope with so many starters in free agency you don't have to pay top dollar so you can you can hopefully find a good value there that's kind of that's got to be the plan you got to you got to be looking for value no matter where you're looking because brandon's not going to have a ton of money Mm -hmm. to spend he's got to he's i I don't want to say bargain bin because that's kind of disrespectful to the player but you got to find supreme value on the free agent market this year maybe more than they ever have before and he said hey we're already talking to guys about yeah. about the number with with the what the cap number is this year 255.4 and talking to guys about what can we do here another big show coming your way tomorrow we've got guests galore and uh we'll be diving into the draft analysis again we got dane brugler from the athletic and matt miller from espn we'll see you at one